building, and he was working at night because they were working around the clock to get this thing completed in time. And as he was working up in the darkness on this building, he was walking close to the edge. And in walking close to the edge, he actually slipped and, and fell off the building. And as he slipped and fell off the building, he grabbed onto the side of it, and he was holding onto the building with his, his fingers several stories up. And he started to scream for help, 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 help. But he knew that he was screaming in vain because the machinery around him was so loud. And so he sat there and he yelled for help and he prayed for help and no help came. And his fingers started to get tired and he became very afraid. He felt very alone. Today, we're going to look at a story of Isaac. We're working our way through Genesis, and we're in Genesis chapter 26. If you would, open your Bibles to Genesis 26. If you have one of those red Bibles, it's on page 20 in the red Bible. Isaac is the son of Abraham, the blessed son of Abraham, the son who has the promise of the promised land. But a problem arises. There is a famine in the land, and Isaac feels all alone, and he is scared. He is afraid. And so he doesn't cling to the promises of God. He forgets the presence of God and the blessing of God. And he decides that he's going to flee the promised land and flee to Egypt. And as he's fleeing to Egypt, the Lord stops him. And the Lord reminds him of his promises to protect him, to love him, and to bless him within the promised land. And so that's what we're going to look at today in Genesis chapter 26. We're going to read verses 1 through 33 throughout the sermon, but we're going to start by just reading verses 1 through 5. And so let's look together, Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the day of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. And to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and will give your offspring all these lands." And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Let's pray. God, as we come to this text today, Lord, we confess that we are often like that construction worker, feeling all alone, afraid, and scared unaware of your presence, God. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would help conquer the fears in our life, Lord God, that we might trust in you, trust in your plan, trust in your provision, trust in your goodness, and trust in your presence, Lord. Help us to that end today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by kind of giving you the, the, the big idea of the sermon, all right? The main point of the sermon. And so here it is. Because God is with his children, we need not fear. 
okay? Because God is with his children, we need not fear. And in this passage, you'll see two terms that are repeated time and time again. The word with, in which God says, I am with you. And the word blessing, which is, I will bless you. And so we're going to look at that as we go through the passage. But what we see is that because God is with us, we need not fear. A couple weeks ago, I was on a trip with Dan Breed, the church planter from Appleton, and he asked me the question, what keeps you awake at night, Dan? What keeps you awake at night? And my initial response is, well, my kids, right? When, whenever they go potty, when they shouldn't, and all those things, you know, that's when, I, that's when I'm awake at night. But that obviously wasn't his question. His question is, what stresses you out? What fears do you have that keep you awake at night? And it took me a long time to think about it because I sleep pretty good. I mean, it kind of runs in our family. We're good sleepers. That's Jacksonville. We are good sleepers. But I thought, what does keep me awake at night from time to time? What is it that I fear? And after processing, I realized, you know, the thing that keeps me awake at night many times is conflict. I don't know about you, but when there's conflict in the home or conflict with friends or conflict in the church, it keeps me awake at night. I worry about it. I fear about the outcome of conflict. And it goes two ways. So there's the fear of when I have to confront someone because of something that's going on in their life or something that they did or something that they said and they're not repentant over it. And so I have to go and talk to them. And I'm afraid of what the outcome of that confrontation might be. But it also happens when I think someone wants to talk to me about things, someone who wants to confront me. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but someone will say, Dan, we really need to talk. And, uh, you know, my mind always goes to the worst case scenario. And and then the worst thing that happens is when you put your schedules together and you figure out you can't get together for two weeks. And so two weeks you're stewing on this. What did I do wrong? What's going wrong? You know, where did I mess up? Where did they misunderstand me? Did I say something on Sunday that I shouldn't have said? Did I, you know, and all those things go through my mind. And I'm just like, Lord, help me to forget about it and move on and we'll deal with it when we get there. But I fear things like conflict. And so my question for you is what keeps you awake at night? What are the things that you are afraid of? What are the things that are burdening you? Maybe it's a fear of finances. Maybe your drought is financially. You're not sure you have enough money to pay the bills. Maybe you have lived above your means and now the creditors are coming. Maybe it's a fear of your health. Maybe You have a problem in your life. You're declining in health or a loved one. Maybe it is a fear of death, knowing that that is coming to all of us. What we see is that even though we live in situations in which there is a drought, that we need not fear because God is with us. And that's what we're going to see through the story of Isaac today. And so let's look at this text. But before we get there, excuse me, before we get there, I just want to give one caveat. When I say that God is with us, it is more than just God is with everyone, okay? We, we believe that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere, right? He's here right now. He's outside. He's everywhere. But God is specially present with his children. He's specially present with those who trust in Christ. Jesus says this, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the final words that he wants us to remember. Jesus is saying, behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so there is a special presence that God has in your life 
through the Holy Spirit that doesn't belong to all people. And because of that presence, we need not fear. So first we see we need not fear because God's presence blesses us with protection. You remember the first five verses, God promises to bless Abraham, to be with, excuse me, Isaac. I'll probably make that mistake again. To, to be with Isaac and to bless Isaac. And he, and he protects Isaac while he is drifting in the midst of Gerar in this drought. And we see that. Read along with me. Verse 6 through 11 says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of, that pla- of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Fear is rooted in a lack of faith in God's promises. God's promises of his presence, of his protection, of his blessing. And we see this in the life of Isaac. Isaac is afraid of the drought, and so he decides to run to Egypt. And the Lord says, wait, 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 I am with you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Stay and trust in me. And then you see he settles in the land of Gerar, which is the south region of the promised land. And he's afraid again, and he says, I will tell everyone that Rebekah is my sister. That may sound familiar because it's what his dad did with his mom, telling everyone that Sarah was his sister. And so he tells the the men of Gerar, yeah, this is my sister, which opens up a lot of danger. Abimelech says here, it would have been easy for any man to have lain with your wife and brought guilt upon us, but also destruction to his family and destruction to the promises of God. And so God protects Isaac, even when he doesn't believe, God protects Isaac. We read that Abimelech actually looks out his window and he sees the two laughing together. Laughing in a way that a brother and sister shouldn't laugh together. It has a sexual connotation to it, saying there was something more than a friendship, than a brother-sister relationship. And Abimelech comes and calls him out on it and says, you told us she was your sister. That's wicked. You could have brought guilt upon us. She is your wife. And then you see God's protection as Abimelech issues this decree that if anybody touches Isaac or Rebekah, that they will be put to death. You see, one of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest gifts of God's grace is not only to protect us from those outside of us, but to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from the enemy within. See, God lets Isaac get caught by his grace that his sin would not continue down this path of destruction. He would implode. And so one of God's greatest gifts of grace is that we get caught in our sin. When I was in uh, either late elementary school or middle school, 
me and my buddy, we, we would go back in the woods behind our house. It was several acres of woods. Uh, later it got cut down and houses got put up, but several acres of woods. And we were back there and we created this fort that we thought was really cool. And basically what we did is, is we took bushes and we kind of leaned them together, tied them up. So there were all these twigs and then there was just one door entrance. And we thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so we, we were like, okay, what should we do in this new fort? And we said, we know what we'll do is we'll have a little cookout, right? And, and a fort full of twigs. Brilliant idea, right? Brilliant. And so we go home and uh, I said, call me when you can go because he had to do some chores. So he called me up and my mom picks up the phone and she said, she, I hear you upstairs, Danny, it's for you. She calls me Danny. None of you can, all right? That's a mom's privilege. Danny, you know. So I pick up the phone and I'm talking to my friend Mark and, and we're talking through this and, and uh, said, okay, I'll, I'll grab the hot dogs and I'll grab a lighter and I'll meet you down there in five minutes. And so I sneak downstairs and I open the fridge and I pull out the hot dogs and I shove them in my little pouch because I have a sweatshirt on and I grab some matches and put them in there and I'm leaving the house. And as I'm leaving the house, my mom says, Danny, where are you going? I'm going down to Mark's house. And she's like, what's in your pocket? How do moms do that? You know, they say moms have eyes in the back of their head. That's a gift of God's grace. So she comes over and she pulls the stuff out of my shirt and says, don't you lie to me. She was on the phone the whole time when I was talking with my friend. So this was before cell phones. But who, who, what would have happened if I didn't get caught? I don't know. I may not have eyebrows today. If I didn't get caught, we could have burned down that entire force. But by God's grace, I got caught. When you get caught in your sin, it is a gift of God's grace. When people get caught, I've learned to say, praise God, because they are not allowed to continue down this trail of sin into a destruction that is unfathomable. You know, we can be preemptive in this with finding accountability, which is great and confessing our sins to one another, and seeking accountability, because sin leads to destruction. But, God, God, but by God's grace, he protects us, not only from the enemy outside of us, but from the enemy within, and he lets us get caught. We also see that we don't have to fear, because God's presence blesses us with provision. Look with me in verse 12. We'll read down through verse 22. It says, And Isaac sowed in the land, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, the Lord, here's the word, blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names of that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, which means contention, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name 
sitna, which means enmity. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, meaning room, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Now remember what is happening in the context of the story. The reason that Isaac is in Gerar is because there is a great famine. There is, there is not much food to eat, and that's why he's fleeing this land. And the reason why there is not much food is because there's not much water. And when there's not much water and there's not much food, there is not many animals because they end up dying off. They're the only food that is around. And yet we see in this passage that God provides for Abraham with great abundance. You see it because he provides food. The first year, Isaac sows. He reaps a hundredfold, which is amazing in perfect climate and perfect weather conditions and in perfect soil. But in the midst of a drought, it is unheard of. And he continues to provide for him because we see in this passage, it says Isaac became a man of great riches and great wealth because he kept producing food in the time of drought. Not only that, but he also had flocks and herds. And so the Philistines were envious of him. And it happens because he keeps finding water. Not only does he find one well, not only does he find two wells, he doesn't even find three wells. Throughout this passage, he finds four different wells. And two of them, the, the, the Philistines say, no, 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 those are ours, right? Because they can't find any water of their own. And so God keeps providing for Isaac and for Rebekah and for their herds, for their family. We see that in the New Testament, a similar promise of God's provision is given to us. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Do you hear that similar message that we hear back in Genesis 26? That there is no need to fear because God is with you because God will provide? It goes on, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When I was growing up, uh, my parents would make these amazing meals. My mom would. My dad would cook out in the summertime. But I thought it was normal for families to have steak and potatoes and salad for five meals a week because that's what we had. And I loved it. It was great. And, and when we didn't eat in, they would take us out to eat at these amazing restaurants. And I don't know about you, but I can never remember a time where I thanked my parents, where I was like, thank you for making this food, Mom and Dad. Thank you for taking me out to eat. But when I got into college towards the end of my college career, about the senior year, a, a realization happened that my parents no longer legally had to feed me, right? <laughs> they legally didn't have to give me food. Before 18, they had to, right? They would have gotten in trouble. But after I turned 18, they no longer legally had to feed me. 
And so I became very thankful for all the times that they would feed me. I actually lived with my dad my last year of college. And whenever he would cook a big meal or take me out to eat, I was always so thankful for him. Finally, he just said, Dan, you don't have to thank me. I'm your dad, right? Which made me all the more thankful that he did it. You know, God doesn't owe us anything. God is not obligated to put food on our table. You know, we take it for granted so often, but it is a gift of God's grace. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve the food that sits before us at lunch or at dinner. And that's why we say grace, which means we don't deserve it. But God gives it to us. And so when you sit at the table and when you sit before the food that God has provided before you, let it be a reminder of this promise from Matthew chapter 6 that God says, I will provide for you. I will put food on the table. I will feed you. Seek me. Praise him, he says. And so we see that God's presence blesses us with protection, but it also blesses us with provision. Finally, we see that we need not fear because God's presence blesses us with perspective. First, we see Isaac's perspective here. Pick it up in verse 23 says, from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there, called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. You know, in first reading through this chapter, I thought it was kind of sad, you know, that God would have to appear to Isaac twice within the same chapter and say, Isaac, I'm with you. I will provide for you. I'm going to bless you. Don't be afraid. Don't run to Egypt. I'm here. But as, as I thought about it more, I am just like Isaac. I am just like Isaac. And, and you can tell by the things that I fear. And I fear because I forget that God is with me, that God is for me, that God has blessed me and will bless me. It's true of you, if you are a child of God, that the Lord is with you yesterday, today, and forever, that he has and is blessing you. And yet when we forget, when we fear, God treats us like he does Isaac. He doesn't cast us away as utter failures, but he comes to us time and time again. It tells us those amazing words. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. And so we see the perspective of Isaac is slowly being changed. As he's reminded time and time again that God is with us and that he is blessing us. But we also see the perspective change from those outside of the faith. We see this in Abimelech. We see here, the Philistines' perspective changes. It goes on in verse 26. It says, When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? What a warm welcome, isn't it? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let, let there be a sworn pact between us between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. 
And then he says, you are now the blessed of the Lord. You hear from the lips of this unbeliever everything that God has been telling us through this passage. That God is with his children. That God is blessing his children. And it is even obvious to those outside of the faith. And it goes on and we see God's continued blessing. It says, so he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug. And said to him, we have found water again. He said, he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Have you ever had this happen to you? Where uh, if you are a child of God and you have received the blessings of God and you have the presence of God, that people look at your life and they're envious and they say, there's something about you. I can't figure it out, but I want what you have. This happened to me many times in college. When I first was saved and came to faith in Christ, I was in a fraternity house. And the guys were very kind of, you know, they were closed off. They didn't share much. But once you got a few drinks in them, they'd open up quite a bit, okay? And so I would be driving my fraternity brothers home from the bars, or we'd be sitting outside, and they would be drunk. And they would say things that were so profound. They would, they would express to me that they were envious of me, which, which shocked me. And, and they weren't envious because of my grades. I mean, no one would be envious because of my grades. <laughs> they weren't envious because of my popularity or my morality. They weren't envious of me because of my good looks, although that would be understandable. <laughs> they were envious because I had a joy that they did not have, a joy that they sought every night by getting drunk. And they said, I don't know what you have, Jackson. I love your relationship with God. I wish I had that. They were envious because they could see the presence and blessing of God in my life. You can see it in my family. The way that I love my wife and love my kids is simply a gift from God. And so you see it even changes the perspective of those outside the faith. Let me wrap up here. In the beginning, I told you that the, the main point was this. That because God is with us, we need not fear. But you see, in this passage, God makes even stronger statement than that. It's not a suggestion, hey, you don't have to fear because I'm with you. It's actually a command from God. In verse 26, he, excuse me, verse 24, he commands us and says, fear not. Fear not. For I am with you and will bless you. You know, the command in this passage is painfully simple, isn't it? Fear not. That's all he says we should do. Fear not. And yet, that command is painfully difficult, isn't it? To fear not. When the famine happens, when the cancer strikes, when the job is lost, when there's turmoil in the family, it is extremely difficult to fear not, isn't it? And yet God says, fear not. And so how can we, in those times of famine, fear not? It's by remembering that God is not only with us in an omnipresent, everywhere sort of way, but that God actually came down to be with us in the flesh. 
that our Savior Jesus is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And he came down to be with us, to bring upon us the blessing of God. And Jesus brought the blessing of God upon us by taking the curse of God from us. You see, our fear is created by sin. Our fear is created by a lack of faith in God. And Jesus takes on that sin and the curse that comes with it. And he pays for it in full. And he is separated from God that we can be with God for all eternity. You know, I started by sharing you with the story of that construction worker in the dark. He was very alone. He was very scared. He was hanging on for his life, crying out in fear. Finally, his fingers gave way and he fell. And as he fell, he screamed in horror for all three feet (laughs) that he fell. Below him was a uh, scaffolding that was put there. He had no idea that it was there. And he fell three feet to that scaffolding and was safe. You see, the greatest blessing that God gives to us is not protection, although that's wonderful. It's not provision, which is also wonderful. But the greatest blessing God gives to us is himself. The greatest blessing God has given to you is his presence. And he's not just scaffolding that is there to catch us when we fall. But he is a holy God of the universe that is with us to bless us at all times. And so what do you fear? What captures your heart, keeps you awake at night? Fear not, the Lord said, for I am with you and will bless you. Let's pray. God, we come to you and confess that many times we are afraid, Lord God. We are afraid of the drought. We are afraid of the circumstances around us, Lord God. We are afraid, Lord, of what might happen to us. God, help us to fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who satisfied the curse of God for us, that we could live in confidence, knowing that God is with us and that he blesses us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.